Welcome back. I'm joined by Fritz Neighbor of the Daily Interlake. We're going to talk a little bit of Grizzly football, a little Bobcats football, maybe a little FCS playoffs in general today, a little playoff preview special. Thank you to Fritz for taking the time to join us. Fritz, you were at that Grizzly comeback last weekend versus SEMO, one for the ages. I just wanted to kind of get your thoughts on that one first, give you the floor to tell how that one was, because I got to imagine the energy was pretty low before that kick return by Malik Flowers, and then all of a sudden it was a different ball game. So just kind of want to give you the floor for that one for a sec. Yeah, and uh, you know I'm old enough to remember when they played South Dakota State in 09, and a lot of the same things happened. Uh, really bad first half. Not much went right. Um, South Dakota State came out the second half and uh, in 09 and threw a long gain or 64 yards, something like that. Set a first and goal, scored 48-21. So you're thinking, that's it. In fact, a friend of mine left the stadium that day. And uh, so by the time he got to his truck in the parking lot, the Canada coming out because Mark Mariani had taken a kickoff back to the house. And, uh, you know, fast forward 13 years, um, first round game, down big at halftime, give up a long drive to start the third quarter, fall down 24-7, and then next thing you know, um, you know, and part of it is what they had to kick from their own 20 because of a personal foul, but they really had no choice but to kick it deep and let Malik Flowers catch it. And, and then, uh, then the, uh, the script flipped right then. Yeah. T- history writes itself. It's, it's, you can't write any better. The Mariani return. I did see that all over Twitter going viral. Everybody bringing that up. And like you said, to be down 48, 21 and to make a comeback. And then a couple, you know, here we go. What, however many years later to do it again is pretty special. I did want to ask when Junior Bergen returned that punt, if that was kind of how, uh, how electric was it in the stadium? Was the decibels going off the Richter there? I, I just got to imagine that one brought the house down. Yeah, you know, the stadium was barely half full. Uh, usually don't draw great. There's an even smaller crowd than you usually get on Thanksgiving weekend. Been a quite a few Thanksgiving playoff games at Washington Grizzly Stadium. Not that late and Maybe not that cold, but uh, you know, thirteen thousand three hundred ninety sounded a lot more. Sounded like a lot more people than that when uh, Bergen got loose, and that was one difference between the '09 uh, game and the '22 game. Is that uh, the Bears got two special teams touchdowns uh, this past Saturday, and, and needed them really. And that not the second one not at the score, and I think really gave them the momentum that uh, they've been lacking up to that point. Yeah, I did feel like that kind of was the stamp they needed like okay we're back we're in this game and we can win this one and I'm, I'm sure uh coach Bobby Houck has to love that being a special teams guy that it came down to hit the special teams unit making a couple plays so I'm sure that'll have him happy as far as that matchup with the bison I know that historically is one of the toughest matchups at the FCS level um I just to lead into it a little bit I did want to mention I'm sure you're aware of it but star fullback for the bison Hunter Lupke, Lupke, I might have said that wrong, but he's going to be out with the shoulder injury, and they are going to be missing five starters from the regular season, a couple reports that I've read said. So maybe the Grizz were catching them at the right time. They did have a couple mutual opponents this year where Indiana State and South Dakota and the Grizz had more convincing wins. Now, all that being said, when the ball drops on, you know, Saturday, that all changes. So I just wanted to ask you, how do you see the Grizz going, you know, out to the Fargo Dome and competing and just kind of how do you how do you think this one goes with the momentum on their side? You know, it's uh, I don't know if there's ever a good time to catch NDSU. Well said. They've been so good for the last eleven seasons, but 
if there is one, this might be it. You know, three three kids hit the transfer portal before their first playoff game. Two of them played a lot. Uh, then they, then they lose Luke Key. Um, you know, they they didn't have Luke Key for um, their last regular season game, which was their uh, cross town or cross state rival, North Dakota. So all they did was run, uh, you know, their quarterback for four touchdowns mm-hmm. and and get two hundred one combined yards from their two tailbacks and. I don't know. Their, their offensive line is every bit as good or, or better than MSU's. They'll run that plus one rushing attack, you know, run the quarterback out of Wildcat, gives them an extra blocker. It's going to be it's going to be tough. Is it? Is this an NDSU team that has a NFL quarterback? No. Um, in fact, Luke King was probably their best pro prospect, is their best pro prospect. But they're still NDSU. They're 9-2. and two. They're not the powerhouse they have been in the past, but playing at home, and uh, I don't know. It's a tall hill. Yeah, and with a team like that, like like you said, it's like they have all the experience on their side in the playoffs. They have guys who've been there, and they have a system that works. I do think it's interesting how you mentioned their quarterback or their running back was out, Lupke, and then all of a sudden they just keep running it right down teams' throats. Reminds me a little bit of the Bobcats, how earlier this year Tommy Malott missed some time, and what happened, Sean Chambers plugs and plays and just does the same thing. So, no, the system's there. The coaching's there. Like you said, probably not ever a right time to catch them, especially at home. So the Grays are going to have to hit a couple home runs early and get drop out to a league because it feels like if they get behind against that running game, it's going to be a tough day. I, I did want to ask you a couple Bobcats things. If there was any other Grizz stuff you want to mention or go over first, though, uh, feel free. If not, just a couple Bobcats questions. Well, you know, the one, the big thing you could take out of last week's Grizz game is that they found their playmakers in the second half. Yeah. Um, it's, been a, it's been a frustrating offense to watch all year because, you know, Cole Grossman was so good last year. You figured he'd have 40 or 50 catches. Uh, he caught his fifth touchdown pass Saturday and uh, caught one for the third game in a row, but he's only had 25 catches. Uh, in fact, I think Mitch Roberts is the only guy with more than 27 catches. And the Grizz... Uh, when I see him every day, they have a better quarterback this year than they did that last year. So something's not connecting. But then every so often, as in the second half against SEMO, it did connect, you know, and he started finding the playmakers, including Junior Bergen once and Paul Grossman and Keelan White. And uh, There's a lot of talent on that team offensively, and um, they all need to get found. You know, they need to hook up with those guys to get some points on the board to beat any issue. Yeah, definitely. And it's like you said, I mean, when it clicks, it really clicks for that offense. The potential's there. It's just the consistency hasn't been there. It's when you look at some of those scores they put up on teams. I mean, they ran it up on a couple teams. They put up, had a huge second half last week. So maybe, you know, they can watch that film, find that group because, I mean, the, the it has been there at times. It just, yeah, it hasn't been the consistent all season long. Now, um, as far as the Bobcats, I did want to ask you with this matchup versus Weber State on the horizon. Um, my own, I mean, the Bobcats have been rolling, but when you're playing a team for the second time in a conference foe, it kind of turns up the temperature a little bit. There's so much film to study. I'm just kind of curious if now it might be like North Dakota State, like you just mentioned, where their run game's so good, it doesn't matter. But I wanted to ask you, do you think the Wildcats can have the wrinkles in their game if Weber State does stop that running game or at least contains it? Yeah, I, that first Weber State contest is, so weird. Like, yeah. Weaver keeps having weird stuff happen. A lot of punch snaps, jailbreak punch snaps. At four of them against the Bobcats, at eight points in safeties, they lost by five. They dropped a certain touchdown pass late in that game. Um, on the other side, I don't think MSU has had a worse game on defense and special teams this season. 
Uh, in fact, an offense, they, their first pass was intercepted. Uh, then they started running like wild, especially Tom and Milan. Um, but at some point in that game, uh, I guess late in the second quarter, things started to click for the Cats, and they have really played good football since then. I know they gave up two touchdowns at the end of that first week of the game, but in the three or four games they've had since, they've just been so good in all phases that um, that I, I tend to want to pick them again. There's a, there's a pretty good history in the, in the Big State Conference. Then when two teams, two league teams meet in the playoffs, uh, the opposite outcome happens from the first time. And this time, she won the first one. So history would tell you Weaver State's got the advantage this time. But... I just didn't like the way Montana State played the first time. I think they've been playing so much better since then. I still think they're the pick. Yeah, no, that that's well said. And I, you know, I I kind of felt the same way where I was really like, you know, it's and that's an interesting thing about the Big Sky and in conference play there because it is so interesting where, like you said, when the first team wins in the regular season, it's often that then the playoffs the other team gets them because they know a little bit more of their hand. Maybe maybe they're a little more mo- motivated, whatever it may be. But um, I do think that's definitely worth mentioning. It's True, and then Sean Chambers, I think he was out of that Weber State game. He'll be back for the Bobcats in this one. That could be a difference maker as well. Um, one other thing I wanted to get to, if there's any other Bobcats stuff you had, I did want to ask you about, uh, feel free to throw that out there whenever, but I also wanted to ask you about the FCS playoff bidding thing that's been going around social media a little. I did see you had a little calm on that, just if you wanted to kind of tell the audience a little bit about some of the drama with the bidding and kind of the interesting way they've been doing things and why people are up in arms. Yeah. Well, I think everybody uh, everybody in Grand Forks, North Dakota is up in arms because yeah. they, they bet significantly more than Weber State did. And uh, both teams are unseated and Weber State hosted. Weber State might have, probably should have been seated. I think they're, they're that good. But they weren't. And so they basically took, you know, everybody's expectations and a lot of history and just threw it out the window and said, yeah, Weber hosts. And Weber, you know, they bid forty grand, which I think is the minimum. Went a little bit higher than that. NDSU comes in with one hundred twenty-seven thousand dollars and doesn't help. So it begs the question: you know, What are they doing here, and, and why is the system still in place? You know, none of these playoff games are real money makers, except with the possible exception of you know NDSU and U of M. I imagine the Alero Center in, in Grand Forks would have drawn pretty well. We were staged with forty-four hundred people. That's I don't know. I, I just think that uh, it's such a great subdivision, a lot of good football. And um, in the, and the NCAA just wanted to make a little extra buck here and there. is kind of uh, taking a little bit too much away from the product on the field. Yeah, yeah definitely. I mean, I, I'll be honest. I was kind of unaware of how much the money, you know, kind of impacted all the moving factors with the bidding and how to get a home game. And I just – I wanted to ask you, because I do think it's so strange that you have a quote-unquote nonprofit organization, the NCAA, making a lot of money at the FBS level and throughout college basketball, and then here they have kind of smaller schools at the FCS level bidding for their playoff. It's just a kind of a weird format. Why not let regular season results speak for themselves? So I kind of wanted to give you that floor to mention that, because I did think that was really kind of a strange way to shake out the end of the season if you're – North Dakota, you know, where you think you're going to be hosting and based off, like you said, the history. And then, yeah, so maybe they'll look at yeah. it moving forward, but I had to ask you about it. Weird stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And if, you know, it's just, and I'm still kind of conflicted and I'll admit it a little bit confused. You know, you read that NCAA keeps 95% of the ticket sales. Well, then how somebody who underwrites 
a bid for say U of M get that money back. You know, and I know NCAA redistributes the money from playoffs. I, you know, i.e. NCAA basketball tournament. But um, it's just kind of confusing, and you get signs, you know, conflicting signs of what's going to happen. And I don't know. I think they'd be better off seeding one through sixteen, or even one through twenty-four. And then they then they've been talking about expanding it in twenty-four teams. Like, please don't. You know, just <laughs> let's get this tournament squared away and make everybody think feel like they're on an even field and go from there. Yeah, no, well said, Fritz, and, and that's great insight there. I think it's so crucial to have something like that with the postseason play be a fair process, you know, when teams are leaving on the line all year, and then even, you know, the Grizz, you could, you know, they were lucky to host a playoff game due to this system, but they probably should have been playing on SEMO for that one. But, hey, that's, that's how the cookie crumbles, I guess. But, um, no, that was great stuff today, Fritz. I'm looking forward to these two matchups. If there's anything else you want to throw out there, uh, go for it. If not, thank you so much. Yeah, I'm just looking forward to Saturday. Heck yeah. No, going to be a lot of fun, and hopefully we're still talking some uh, Grizz and Bobcats football this time next week. So let's uh, hopefully it's a good one. should be a lot of fun. All right. Thanks, Josh. All right. Have a good one, Fritz. Thank you. All right. That was Fritz Neighbor of the Daily Interlake. A lot of fun there. That's the go-to guy right there when it comes to Montana Grizzlies knowledge and knows a lot about the Bobcats as well, Montana football in general. So, Great stuff from Fritz today. All right. Thanks again to Fritz for calling in. Thanks again to all y'all for tuning in. A lot of fun on the horizon this weekend. Both Montana play, uh, football teams are going to be in action. The Bobcats are going in the favorites. The Grizz are going in the underdogs. Sometimes in the playoffs, things get a little interesting. So I guess that's my big thing is this time of the year, momentum's everything. I think the Bobcats are rolling at the right time. Like we discussed with Fritz, it's going to be a little interesting playing a foe for the second time, though. That's a conference team. I think that's going to be the big question for the Bobcats. As far as the Grizz, it's all about can you keep that momentum going early, maybe hit a home run right off the bat in the first quarter, get a stop, score a touchdown, get out to a lead, because it's going to take something like that, shake it up a little bit to beat a North Dakota State who is such a powerhouse and has won when it matters so often historically. So it's going to be a great weekend of football. Can't wait. Go Grizz. Go Bobcats. I know most people, you know, you're picking root for one, but like I said before, you know, I'm rooting for Montana football. I'm hoping I'm here next week talking about victories and not losses. So let's see how it goes. I'm excited. Everybody, thanks for tuning in. You have a good one. And thanks again to the Flathead's best manufacturer, Nomad, for their support. All right. Have a good one, y'all.